My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us this week for a conversation with the Stepney sisters. That's Eber, Charlene, and Shante Stepney, who join me to discuss the work of their father, Charles Stepney. As an arranger and producer and songwriter, his CV is mind-blowing, Earth, Wind & Fire, Rotary Connection, Ramsey Lewis, Minnie Ripperton, Muddy Water, so many more. Uh, from R&B and blues to really lush soul, he is a legend. But there's a new compilation out on International Anthem called Step on Step, which presents a very different side of Charles's work. Uh, more raw and minimal, it was recorded in his home studio with new uh, synthesizers and drum machines and it is one of my favorite records of the year it's just this thing i don't get sick of listening to step on step in this you get this great cross section of sort of electronic soul and as i put it in i i I said this in my aquarium drunkard uh song review of the original version of that's the way of the world and uh I, I, I think you can hear some K.K. Slider in it uh, from Animal Crossing, uh, the sort of chiptune weirdness. Uh, just so um, so much fun and such an incredible archival work. The Stephanie sisters have done an amazing job preserving their father's legacy, which has been, you know, sample, he's been sampled by everybody from Kanye to Mad Lib to the Fugees, Tribe Called Quest. We get into all of that and much more, as well as getting a sense of who he was as an individual and uh, learning a lot more about their mother and getting a sense of what Chicago was like and this incredible time. Uh, anyway, uh, the late Charles Stepney fondly remembered by his daughters uh, who join us on this episode of Transmissions. We appreciate you being here. If you want to support this show, if you like these kinds of conversations, these deep dives with artists and want to support what we're doing, you can check out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. That's the best way to help us out. Uh, And then if you want to do something, you know, without necessarily pledging any dollar amount, that's fine too. Just leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Make sure you subscribe if you like the show so you never miss new episodes. And spread the word. Word of mouth is what we count on here at Transmissions. 
All right, without much more blabbering, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with the Stepney sisters. Uh, so, so happy to have them on and so thankful for this great new collection of Charles Stepney work. Step on step, don't miss it. All right, this is Transmissions. Uh, I listened to, I believe it was just the unedited uh, recording of the three of you listening to the record and offering thoughts along the way. I think Scotty was maybe recording that. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was so much fun. When I finished it, I was like, well, why do I need to ask them anything? They already said all the great (laughs) stories. That is so good. I was going to say, did you hear the whole taping or the parts from the album? Uh, I listened to the entire, it's like an hour and a half long or something like that. And it's, but it was great because it's the three of you listening to the record. So you hear the record, but just, you know, off. And then I I guess maybe some, probably a lot of that was used for this podcast series that, uh, that the first episode went up a couple days ago, I think. Yeah. 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 Did you like it? Did you like the first episode? Oh yeah. I loved it. Oh, cool! <laughs> I want to cool. I want to wait for Ebert before I, I before I say too much. But I, I I this is absolutely one of my favorite records of the year. I can't stop listening oh, to this one. Oh wow! That's so cool! Thank you. I love the rawness of these recordings. It's it's really a remarkable uh, project. Cool. I'm so glad that. That's great! Thank you so much. That means yeah. a lot, and we hear that every now and then. There's a certain. Um, uh, soloist, a performing artist who has shared something very similar about dad's music as well as other people. You know, they, you know, I, I always, we always say it feels a little cliche to say the soundtrack of our lives, but a lot of people talk about how they go through illnesses and sicknesses and heal, healing times uh, and really enjoy dad's work during that time and it helps pull them through. So that's absolutely amazing. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because that was what Solange said to us, too, and that was that she it helped her heal. And it's funny because um, uh, recently, you know, I had an opportunity to see him actually uh, operating a studio. And I think I was very impressed by his sense of peace. I think when he was performing and creating, he would he had a, a kind of a stable like. You know, I love doing this. This is what I do. And uh, it was peace there. So that's probably why it has come out in his music. Yeah, that's wonderful to think about. And it's easy to imagine, uh, you know, your father worked with absolute legends. He had a he had a hand in shaping and creating the sounds we hear on legendary records by Terry Collier, you know, Ramsey Lewis, Minnie Ripperton, Muddy Waters, Earth, Wind & Fire, of course. It's right. it's easy in retrospect to imagine being in him being in the studio and maybe being, you know, stressed or 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 wanting to get it right or anything like that. But anybody who gets involved in creative work knows that that's not the way you get great work done. The way you right. get great work done is sort of letting go and and tapping into that sense of peace. Yeah. So it's it's right. it's so great. Was he was your dad pretty peaceful around the house too? Was that his vibe? Um, he was, <laughs> he was when he, wait, wait a minute, when he wasn't like, uh, getting there and clean your room or, 
Um, <laughs> we knew Saturday was cleanup day overall. Um, I, he really was kind of a peaceful person. So, I mean, not saying he didn't get angry. He did get angry. You know, he did chastise us. Uh, but overall, I would say he was a peaceful person. Even like when we went downstairs to the studio, we very seldom got chided for that. You know, occasionally he would say, you know, you know, which means he's recording, you know, and if we made a noise or something, then he would be a little irritated. But other than that, yeah, no, he's pretty, pretty level, pretty level. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, we have a recording. We have an audio letter that the family did to a family friend who was stationed overseas in Germany in 1973. Uh, and dad has the family singing on the tracks that he had used for the Dell Sing Dion Warwick's greatest hits. Um, and it's just been a wonderful treasure throughout my life because I can hear his voice. So when I think about his temperament, you know, I think about that particular letter, audio letter, because I don't remember him, but it was just such a beautiful family time. And yeah. even though, you know, mommy could be a little like, don't say that. That's not nice. That's not appropriate. And he was like, oh, no, it's OK. So she didn't mean a bit. So it was really cool <laughs> to get insight on how he spoke to his wife and his kids and his parents and his friends that he was doing this wonderful masterpiece for, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would say definitely mellow and in the zone when he was in the zone. And I was clearly this was his zone. Yeah. <laughs> Music was that was his sweet zone. spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, so much of the work that I already referenced, this really incredible, often very symphonic and, and classically inspired stuff that he would do with Ramsey or Earth, Wind and Fire, sort of more the strings and horns, very elaborate and very, um, very layered. Part of what I love about this record is I'm, I'm a home recordings guy. I like to hear people when they're in their space doing their thing and sort of studios can be the most amazing place in the world. And clearly your dad knew his way around a studio very much. Right. But there's something really interesting and kind of magical that happens when somebody is alone and in a space that is really just theirs. Um, and that's what I hear on this record. Obviously, the, the sort of raw, there's a, there's a demo-ish quality, but to me, it's just remarkable. The, the, the tricky ways he plays with rhythms. I think you've referred to them as stepneyisms, all these little things he's doing. And he's, and he's kind of working over these, like these, these fairly rudimentary drum machine sounds. And I love, I love and it. And off time. And off time. Ex right. Right. Off time. I was going to say, Charlene was just talking about that the other uh, day. She like, and she's like, I think he was doing that on purpose. He, I, I, think like, he, I mean, he, he would was. put in like, a, you know, a three, four or two, four time. And you're like, did he do two, four? Or was that four, four? You know what I mean? Was that common? So sometimes when I'm listening, I'm also listening because the drum beat will start one place and you think that's where the song is going to go. And then it does something totally different. But it's funny that you say that because the more I listen to it, something that I I think that I, I recall maybe more recently was how much time he took just putting together his demos. Yeah. So I laugh because 
I think we were all kind of nervous about it at first because it's the kind of thing you're like, would daddy like spank us if he knew we were releasing this at home demos? <laughs> would he be, and he didn't spank us, but would he be like, diddies with him singing? Right? like, oh gosh. <laughs> right? Right? So, would he be like, y'all know y'all shouldn't have released my private demos, you know? But um, it is, it is interesting to hear him in his vein and his comfort level because he did take his time and record it the way he wanted it to sound. And I think it's clear when you listen, and Junius Paul said this, he said, Char, I hear all the instruments. I said, he put all the instruments in. So with the exception of maybe some strings or something like that, um, he knew where the song was going to go in his head, even though we don't get that when we're listening to this. I think he did. Yeah. Uh, hello, Eber. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining Hi. us. So sure, sorry about the tardiness. I had a last minute little kerfuffle. Oh, so. no, no apologies necessary. I'm so glad you're here with us to discuss this remarkable music that your dad made. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's such a great point. The what you don't hear is somehow implied you know you can kind of hear where these things would have gone but in this form they really just feel so intimate and there's an intimacy to the record both by having his voice included by having your voices included it it feels just you know i i'm a you could probably see i got like a bunch of records and stuff behind me and i got a bunch of crap (laughs) i love I love these sort of like uh, alternate takes or demo collections where you get to hear the songs from a different angle. But what I love so much about this record, Step on Step, is that it it feels cohesive. It feels like an LP to me, you know? And I imagine that had a lot to do with the three of you selecting these tunes, shaping a narrative, the sequencing uh, that Scotty did. I mean, very, very well done overall. This feels like a demo collection in that it's intimate, but it feels like a fully realized piece of art. And so I hope your dad would just be like, I'm glad you did it. I told him we may have gotten a spanking E if he knew. <laughs> well, not a spanking, no, because I think that, that, you know, the other thing about him is that uh, I think that he would have chuckled at our determination to honor him and and how difficult it was for us and how we did keep trying as someone had mentioned and um that um i think that part would have kind of made him laugh yeah like those yeah. girls just wouldn't stop and that would have actually he would have thought that was really funny so yeah larry dunn from a uh, uh original earth wind and fire he sent a text the other night and he's like Ruby and Charles would be so proud of you guys. Uh, I'm glad you keep doing this. You know what I mean? So wow, that's, that, mean, that means a lot. Yeah. That's so yeah. beautiful. These tapes, I mean, who hung on to them all all through the years? Or or how did it work? And, and, and I know that in the early 2010s, the three of you kind of started a label, uh, the Charles Stephanie Masters, where some of this stuff was shared. There were like, there's a, 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 a small run CD version of this, but when you would show these recordings to labels and people, I mean, did people express a similar thing that we've mentioned of saying like, Hey, maybe this is a little too raw for us to work with or anything like that. How, how exactly did that, ha- did that happen sometimes? 
Yeah, that's oh, what yeah. happened. Yeah. Yep, that's what happened. Huh. It was too raw. It was the impetus for us to do it ourselves because we knew what it was. And, you know, maybe we were before our time like our, like our father was. <laughs> but then, you know, sprinkle a little Scotty International Anthem dust, fairy dust on it. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting for me and Charlene because it took us a long time to uh, really get that people didn't understand the level of hard work that he put into finished and completed projects, which is why we were able to under, understand and value the raw material, but, you know, maybe other people not so much. Yeah, Eber, yeah. you might have missed a little, I think I was mentioning this Oh, before. Charlene talked about that, sorry. No, 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 I was going to say, I, oh. I mentioned that while there, that these are raw and while there is like a, a, a roughness to it, to me, it's, that's, part of the magic that's part of the perfection oh yeah i did hear that I, yeah, and i okay. agree with you uh but when you were talking about other people no they didn't, and, and yeah at, at first we were just a little like stunned about it but then we started to realize i think charlene really caught on first was like they don't get um it was difficult for us it really was that now i will say from time to time we did run into some, I would call them high-level celebrity creative types. But the problem with that is they're also busy. Sure. But right. um, because I, I would say I did run into a few, a few like, I won't drop names, but I did because I'm <laughs> not quite sure I remember them correctly. But I, in the back of my head, like they were big, they were big. And they did get it, but they were they were very, very busy. And then it's like when, you know, out of sight, out of mind and, you know, have your people call my people. And when you get to their people, the ball pretty much stops there. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because their people what we always deal with is because daddy's not well known. Many people don't even realize they know his music like intimately, like he would say, or very well. But they have no idea who he is. So sometimes we would get to their handlers and they would be like, who is right. this person and blah, blah, right. blah, blah. Why you want to work with this person? Right. And so the the celebs would be like, you don't know, you know, let me. So it made it much harder uh, to kind of get the traction that we wanted. And I mean, and, and we we had a very big exec recently from a major you know, when he listened, he's like, I listened to it, but, you know, what am I going to do with this? So we're like, OK, <laughs> so we kept moving. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> right. Nothing. Right? <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that exec might have might have made a mistake. But um, but his loss, you know, or their loss, I don't know. Maybe it's a. I don't know that. It's up there. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's funny though, because when I when I listen to this stuff, I've mentioned the drum machines and the synths, and that's it. It's interesting that there's a parallel sort of um, track that artists, especially I think of Sly Stone, in terms of that integration of you know organic rhythms uh, and keys with programming. Uh, I think of Shuggy Otis, another artist who, of course, was appreciated much later in his career, uh, similar really to the belated reception that your father's music is now experiencing. Um, and I think about how there's just such an interesting moment in the late 60s and 70s where musical technology is just blooming and there's so many things you can do. 
So it seems like, I mean, your dad built a pretty, a pretty swanky studio in the basement, right? Like it was, was it full of instruments? What was it like down there? It was, he had a lot of little things, you know? So he had a lot of handheld instruments, uh, you know, don't get me going. Cause they, I remember, I always remember the water drum. I don't know why, cause it was the most fun, right? The water drum was most fun. Then he had these, uh, the shakers. Then he had the. I was going to say, know, I literally just pulled the shakers the out about an hour ago. <laughs> I think I'm going to bring them to the Millennium Park concert and play them cool. at the concert. <laughs> he did have a lot of handhelds, but he did have regular instruments. He had a drum set. He had an upright. He had a baby uh, grand in the, in the main household, but in the basement, he had an upright. Then he had his mini mood. Then he had his. I'm sorry, mini Moog. And then he had his uh, Fender Rhodes uh, guitar. What am I missing? Yeah, I know I'm missing something. <laughs> but he kept lots of instruments. Did he, did he have vibraphones down there? Yeah, the vibes, right. Yeah. Sure he, did. he did. He saw the vibra- vibraphones kind of early, but um, yeah, he did. Was yeah. w- w- From what you remember, I mean, was he the kind of artists who needed to set a mood i mean was there candles or low lighting or incense or was he not even bothered with that just like get down there shut the door and let me do my thing right. <laughs> no, never never saw a candle <laughs> he, made no, he, was, he was really anti-candle and i love candles so, <laughs> so do I. okay i think he may have had a twilight zone on or something like that but you know he he would watch tv i think before he would light a candle or you know he didn't get high you know so he would travel he would stop working and and let's hit the road yeah and you know that could happen at any time so you know my mother used to say i have to always be ready because i don't know when charles is gonna say let's go (laughs) so um that he really did like to just get away and chill but no it was very family oriented and routine for him to have breakfast maybe take us to school um and then go to work um whether it was at the studio or in the basement um yeah he was very very and he was routine though that was a part of his personality being very uh routine and organized yeah even it's funny because when he were talking about you know, sometimes our trip would be just up north to get, you know, to go to Maxwell Street and get a burger. But I mean, we had to take a bath first, put on our pajamas and we'd be in the car with our pillows and blankets. And then we could go do that. So by the time we were home, I guess he was like, now they can go sleep and I can go to work. So I think, uh, you know, like she said, they had their own kind of routine yeah. of how they did things. Yeah. But I meant hit the road. Like he liked to travel. They they both like to travel. They love to travel. So well, I love that. There's, I mean, the titles that the three of you came up with are also so evocative. I think about road trip being one of them. You know, and that you know, uh, what 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 was your dad's like travel style? Was he real real business oriented? We're going here. We're not going to stop. Or was he kind of we can go wherever and loosey goosey. He was going to stop. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, no, I thought it was, well, we got to stop at the caverns, which was super important to me. 
um, getting to the caverns and getting some some silver rings and some fringe vest. And, uh, what was yeah the vest the the hippie the vest. Right. Yeah. Yes, or exploring the caverns or any kind of sideshow on the road. You know, the same things that they have now. Yeah. Um, it was, so we didn't always get to do that, but we usually got to do at least one of those things on the way back or on the way there. It depended, it depended on his mood. But that was like a super highlight for me. Um, you know, to I love to go to the Indian caverns. They were super interesting. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I also like that you brought up uh, Twilight Zone. Another, I, I was thinking of, uh, was it Funky Sci-Fi? Another one of the tracks on the, on, on, right. on the record, which I was, I, I'm, uh, anybody who listens to this podcast has heard me shoehorn questions about Star Trek into way too many interviews uh, because I love Star Trek. <laughs> People, people are like, what? What are you talking to me about Star Trek for? And it's like, yeah, oh, I'm just Trekkies here with you. They love yes. Trekkies. Well, my dad was a Trekkie. My dad was a Trekkie. I was mm -hmm. so excited. I mean, first off, I think that Twilight Zone and Star Trek are two shows that there's they still feel like they're from the future to me in terms of right. their social right. messages because they're still so relevant. Um, but I love to hear that your dad was interested. I mean, was he interested in the future in futuristic technology. I mean, I'm thinking if he's got a mini Moog or whatever, maybe he was a little bit on the technological forefront. I think he was. I can't say I hear him. I heard him talk about it a lot, but I do. I would say he was because those things are intriguing. And you get and you, even though, like, you think about Star Trek and Twilight Zone, sometimes they're almost prophetic. So just to think about why he was interested in that and then his futuristic uh, love of uh, sound. I think he had to have some sort of sense or interest in future, in the future and what was gonna happen. For sure. And his mother, my grandmother, Grandma B, Willie B, Stepney, she said that when he was very young, they had some kind of aptitude test at school. And it, the, his results came back that he was 100% mechanically minded. <laughs> you can say it with such enthusiasm. He's 100% mechanically minded. And apparently that was a really big deal. Um, right. But, you know, throughout the home, you know, and throughout the years, I would hear stories of my mom designing things or asking for things. And he mm. would execute. Mm -hmm. um, clearly in his music, he was interested in, in sound. So it sounds like he was... Um, very much so yeah uh, tech yeah that's so yeah. cool i'm glad that you brought your your grandmother up because she was a a huge influence on your father musically right can you tell me a little bit about about how she introduced him to the world of music she taught him how to play and she she taught me in Charlene too. I can tell you she was tough. Probably why we don't play as well as he did, but um, too tough. She was tough. Was I didn't tough. even I was confused. <laughs> but, but you know well, and she was always playing. She worked for the church and um even at one time she worked with Mahalia Jackson. Um, she worked for funeral homes later in her career. Um, she was always playing. Yeah. And um, which I always think is great is, you know, a working 
um, musician uh, for a, a black woman of her and that time was just pretty remarkable that she was able to live her entire life making a living. And I think about that because they said dad really wanted to be able to support his family doing what he loved. And that can be such a such a dream for an artist right now, even. But to think that he had the example of his mother who had already done that, I think about that as well as, you know, her being an influence on him creatively. But that she made, you know, she made some coins. Yeah. Doing doing her music. So, yeah, it was the path was already there for him, you know. And she taught, uh, you know, vocals as well. So. She she was just as tough with vocals as she was with keys because she was like you know no no <laughs> yeah yeah if she heard anything off key it, it pained her literally right. she would cringe <laughs> well I would love I would I mean I would love to hear what she thinks of Daddy's Ditties because that's one of my favorites on the record you know <laughs> that's so funny oh she you uh, what's really funny is his brother is a was a remarkable tenor his voice was just beautiful so when you hear dad i think everybody in family just automatically compares him to uncle sterling but uncle sterling you know his voice was mesmerizing yeah and when you hear daddy go you know do 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 you just be like, no, you just sit down and laugh. <laughs> I love that song. Though. That I mentioned earlier, the sort of healing qualities of this record and how much fun it is to listen to. I don't think you can listen to Daddy's Ditties without like smiling, without just feeling that that joy. Um, and I was yeah. so I love. I, I alluded to this earlier, but the titles of these songs. I mean, you've got uh, uh, you you three were basically because a lot of this was just left un, untitled, right? These were just recordings that would just say, you know, what, the date or something like that? or He, he oh, had numbers. random names, yeah. He had random names. And numbers. And numbers. Number right. Right. <laughs> right. track one, right? Yeah, untitled right. track two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Diddy number two. <laughs> Diddy number three. <laughs> Well, I love the I love the various references, and I love that that there's like no title on this record that doesn't have some sort of meaning, you know, denim groove, like learning uh, through listening through the various materials, like learning of your dad's denim suit, a suit that he was uh, buried in. I was like, wow, that's so, you know, you might see denim groove on the on the page and think, oh, that's a funny little title or whatever. But there's so much significance. The three of you really put a lot of uh, it seems like a lot of heart and a lot of thought into what you're going to name these songs so i'm really glad that that's the case thank you it's one of my favorites is uh still um notes from daddy because when i listen to it it actually sounds like him talking to us yeah you know and with emotion and change in topic so when you listen to it, you kind of like, you know, he's saying, you know, da, 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 da. you know, I was like, okay, all right. You know, something very emotional about right. listening to the different sounds and even uh, Ruby and Child, Charles, which was released, what, yesterday? Yeah. To have yeah. the same kind of feel, you know, like their relational relationship dance.
Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Your mom was an artist too, right? What can you tell me about Ruby? She was what? I, it sounds like she was just like a polymath. She did everything. There was sculpture. <laughs> she was a visual, visual artist. artist. Yeah. Polymath. Yeah. <laughs> dressmaking, architecture, mm-hmm. drafting. You you know ceramics. You name. Interior design. She had a a friend that lived in a local project who had six kids and she she was um, despondent. And um, she called my mom and my mom came to visit and she says, oh, gosh, this place is, is dreary. No wonder you don't feel well. And she was like, how much money do you have? And she had like 25 or 30 bucks. And she says, well, I'll redecorate. And when the um, when the 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 what do you call it the social worker came and she was like who did this what what has happened to your apartment and she said my friend came and did it and she was like well how much was it so they called my mom and they got um all the tips and they got a a budget from the city for the low-income projects there weren't a lot at the time and yeah and they wrote it up in the paper wow how to decorate uh, on a shoestring budget, and they got a little small budget allowance to fix things up. So that was back in the super day. Super resourceful and, and super resourceful. Super resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very talented. Very. She. I mean, we could go on about her for a yeah. very long time. <laughs> I imagine so. I imagine so. I was really moved to learn that her her spiritual rooting was really important to your father too, and very mm-hmm. like a big part of 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 that their connection, which just, I mean, it sounds, listening to that song, it kind of conjures up a, a a feeling of maybe the connection between the two of them, this beautiful little melody and that danceable quality to it. But hearing that he would sort of lean on her, mm-hmm. her, her faith, really, and, and, and kind of ask her to divine whether or not things were go in the right direction or what What he would ask her if God had said anything to her about the decision to be made or whatever. Is God saying anything to you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. She, she said that um, in the blizzard of 60, 67, 68, um, about a few days before that, uh, she said God told her to go get a whole bunch of food. So they went to the store and my dad was like, what are you doing? And she said, God told me to do this. And of course there was a blizzard in Vienna. People couldn't get food because they couldn't, the supply trucks couldn't get in. It wasn't like it is today where they'll snow you out right away. Right. And so as she said after that, he always said, so is God saying anything to you? <laughs> She's got an established <laughs> track record. Yeah. Yes, yes. She was very wise though. I mean, a lot of people inquired of her. So, yeah. 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 And I think, with the basement and it's funny because you know a lot of people hear about the basement but uh and even in the um 
the piece that was released the other day when Terry's like, you know, I had to go upstairs. What he doesn't say is when he went upstairs, he had to deal with mom and us because that's what was upstairs. But mom knew how to be, you know, the perfect hostess. So she's definitely going to be like, do you want something to eat? You know, you want to sit and she sit down and talk. But also she decorated the, the space because she knew he had a lot of other musicians coming in and she wanted to make sure that he was proud of his home. You yeah. Know, when they came. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a lot of artists popping by? I mean, we, we've already uh, tried to avoid name dropping, but if there are any names you want to drop, <laughs> people who, who popped by that you remember or any, any stories of, of, of like that? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. 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 Yeah. Everybody. Right. Um, I but Eddie, I remember up church emotions. Uh, who else? Donnie Hathaway. Wow. You know, everybody kind of came to the basement. I'm sure I'm skipping a whole bunch of folks. Yeah, there was um, Minnie Ripperton. Was she was there a lot? And Ramsey, of course, was there a lot. They were good friends, and the Dells were there. And him and Chuck Barksdale from the Dells were very good friends. Uh, Terry Collier, as you heard, was there. Earth when, the, Earth when the Fire came there, to, and they did a lot of rehearsals there. And um, so, of course, Maurice. Um, let me see. Um, the Jackson 5 came. Oh, know? really? And I, missed, and I missed them, and I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I was out with my extended family, and I didn't want to come home. And so I delayed my return. And, boy, my dad was really mad because it was a big supposed to be a big surprise for me. Aww. And all my friends on the block were like, the Jackson 5 were at your house. And I'm like, yeah, right. No, for real, they were at your house. Like, yeah, right. No, for real. And then I saw my father stand on the porch with his hands on his hips with a really with a scowl. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, I no. think it's true and I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was in trouble. Yeah, he was really mad. Wow. <laughs> no, lots of people came to the basement. And I, I think-, think you pointed out something that I've never thought about is I, I'm sure so much of the basement experience was their time upstairs with mom, right. you know, because I, I don't remember my dad, but for a long time, it was just my mom and I in the home. And as opposed to them coming over, she would have the, what I thought were the strangest conversations with these particular characters. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was like, I could always tell when it was one of dad's friends, because she was very Pentecostal. And very religious and very with, involved with the church. But when Louis Satterfield or Eddie Harris or, you know, any of the guys called, she would get really loose and they would start like <laughs> speaking to over the 60s. And, you know, they were always screaming and saying interesting phrases. And what did you say um, she said to Satterfield? Satterfield? No, Satterfield would call and say, hey, Ruby, it's Louis Louis, Louis Louis, <laughs> leave the love home for me. So Louis, Louis Satterfield and I think his wife at the time with Sally or something, but they would call and they would just, you know, ham for hours, for hours. So, you know, that I didn't think about that until just now, but such a testament to the relationships and not only their time with dad in the basement, but their time with her because even she after- was comfortable with her. She was. Yeah, she was, um, they, some of them really still were endeared to her and considered her good friends. So that was nice. Oh, that's- and Shanti has all of her visual arts talent. 
<laughs> sort of. And her name's like Gabby. <laughs> that's that's amazing, and it's it's incredible to hear the sort of about the the team that your parents made. They were a combo, you know, who are interacting and the what was going on upstairs eventually leads down to what's happening in the basement and probably the other way around too. It's all it sounds it sounds like it was a real wonderful place to grow up and a and a and a wonderful time, you know, in Chicago history. It was even, you know, even in the bad times, like, you know, even when it was not great. You know, because there was a lot going on socially and politically at that time. Yeah. And even though we knew about it, I would say, you know, I never knew the impact of it. And what I also appreciated is dad had, you know, dad and mom had a diverse uh, friend base. So it was never, you know, just African-Americans or just black people would be black and white they had italian they had jewish friends they had, i mean so they were just all an eclectic group of people yeah so i mean the only time it seemed disturbing is you know if mom and dad were mad at each other you know they had an argument or something but they also had a, a pact and that was that they would never go to sleep uh ne- never let the sun rat the what is it never the let sun the sun rat. yeah yeah wow uh, something that it's like in addition to this incredible record and and I, I well I wanted to I wanted to mention obviously your father's work as a producer and as an arranger was was monumental you alerted uh, you talked about how earlier you know people still don't know his name They're, they don't he doesn't have the name recognition which is the sort of curse of being a behind the scenes kind of person right because obviously you start rattling off records that he worked on and everybody knows those, but they don't necessarily know the name on the insert. But, um, I was curious, step on step was a title that he had maybe mentioned once or twice. He, he did want to make a solo record and that's what he wanted to call it. Who, who remembers how that came to be? Yeah, me. And I guess it was, it was a, it was, it was a well-known, you know, within our family. Uh, yeah, he wanted to do Step One Step. Yeah. That was something that he really wanted to do. He, You know, he began his career as a performing artist. Right. So he just kind of sort of stumbled into um, the uh, behind-the-scenes work as a result of being a family man, right, and needing to get home, you know, and and have a more structured, you know, way of life. And that's actually how he fell into the recording business. Um, but being a performing artist was really his first um, goal and dream. Mm-hmm. Your your father worked with funk artists. He worked with jazz artists. He worked with blues, R&B. Did he have, did he care? Did he care about genre? Was genre a concern of his? Uh, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> I, I never heard that uh, he took us to see like Ella Jenkins when we were really, really small. So, I mean, that was an exposure to folk music um, at a very small. And I remember, I I don't know, really small, between four and six years old. And I remember um, uh, saying, do you know her? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I know her. And I was like, oh, my God, he knows this lady. Um, and uh, I saw her, wow, a couple of years ago, too, at uh, Alvin Ailey. It was like, oh, my God, Ella Jenkins from when I was a baby. But um, 
he also told me that um because i i sometimes complained about how hard he worked on um simple uh art forms and kind of elevated them and i says oh you know i don't even know why why would you work with those people because you know your skill is so far above like sure. what they're offering and he said oh Oh no, he was, and he really went into depth about what every art form had to offer and how you should take the time to appreciate it. And even how, like, you know, he didn't desire to interfere with it. He wanted to elevate it, but not to interfere with um, the purity of the artist. I think I mentioned that about Terry Collier recently. He just didn't want to interfere with them. And so I think that's what kind of made him uh, outstanding. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he did allow their their talent to breathe um, and develop through them, and, and I think of because um, he loved Barbara Streisand and so did I, uh, but he took yeah. me to the um, Hello Dolly. That was one of my favorites, and he loved the Satchmo was in it. He's right, like, mm-hmm. right, right, right. I remember <laughs> he told us we're going to see Satchmo. We're like, right. how is this? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting, though, to hear that that the purity of the artist was something that he wanted to preserve. Uh, I his his arrangements and his his work could be uh, beautifully ornamental and sometimes very grandiose and sweeping. But I think about like even with like when I think of that Terry Callier record, because I mean, that's one of my all time favorite artists. And what color is love is like there's just we played just as long as we're in love at my wedding. It's one of my all time. Anyway, I'm, I love that song so much. But I think about how Terry being, you know, somebody who came from a very sparse, uh, folky root. He was a folk singer, a kind of a, a folk blues guy. And yeah. when you hear that early cadet stuff, obviously, it's incredible. Or, or sorry, maybe prestige. I'm um, I'll cut this part out because I don't want to mess it up. But <laughs> when you think about like the, the the new folk sound of Terry Callier, you can hear the the that directness. Then you hear the work that your father did with him later, and it it's it's more dressed up in certain ways, but it doesn't lose that intensity and purity. And that's that's the finest line to walk. So that must be somebody who really knew how to listen and hear the heart of what the artist was trying to accomplish. And that is, that's the skill. There is no greater skill when it comes to being a, a collaborator, you know? So I'm so glad to hear about that. I think it was skill, but I also think it was uh, from spending time to know the artist because most of the artists that have worked with them always have such incredible things to say about them. Him. And I find that admirable as an adult, you know, to say, how, how does how does this person still have these people that are like, we loved him? You know what I mean? And and even then, like I was speaking to Ramsey not too long ago, we were talking about him and we were talking about Maurice. He said, Maurice loves your dad. You know, it was just interesting to hear how they still have those feelings for him. So that was somebody who spent time with them. Yeah. 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 Uh, something that I was very interested about is over the years, um, like so many of the great um, jazz, soul, funk, fusion people of that era, your father's work proved to be a very uh, reliable source for hip hop producers who were looking for interesting samples. And 
the list of people who've sampled your dad's work is, of course, extensive. But the Fugees, A Tribe Called Quest, Chicago's own Kanye, uh, MF Doom, Mad Lib, all these different people. I'm curious, as all of you, you know, were growing up, I mean, would you sort of be aware of how his work was being recontextualized and explored further? Uh, and what did it, what was it like to, to kind of be off to the side seeing that all while his name is not getting elevated quite as much as it should have been as well? I'm the, I'm the 90s kid here. Um, so yeah, definitely um, was interesting, surreal uh, on many levels because uh, be, while I knew the music, I didn't always know it was dad. So like Charlene, sure. you were on Saturdays playing, listening to classical music while cleaning. My Saturdays, we listened to Rotary Connection. And while I was familiar with the music, I didn't think I really knew it was daddy. It was just what we played in our house, you know? Um, so a lot of his non-Earth, One and Fire, you know, Emotions or Denise Williams era music, you know, I was used to hearing, but I didn't quite make that connection. So fast forward to early 90s, I'm in college and hip hop's going crazy. And um there's all these samples, you know, and I didn't really, I don't have the ear. Charlene and Eber have much more musical training than I do. But um, I remember one day I was at home and um, listening to music over a break. And Charlene was like, wait a minute, what is that? Play that again. And she's like, that's daddy. And it was a whole thing, you know, and she ran to another room and touched, let, let mommy hear it. And, you know, then they were like, oh my gosh, that is daddy. And I was like, really? This is like Tribe Called Quest. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was daddy. I got a little scolding <laughs> because they were like, okay, look, we're going to need you to know your father's catalog. Um, and so that was the beginning for me. And I remember like, at that point, Charlene's the one to like really go crazy. And she looked into it right away and was able to start digging. And it was just remarkable how much had happened. And at that time, it was just almost impossible to find unless you knew a hip hop head. So I remember throughout the years, people would call me like, I heard something that sounds like your dad. That went on for at least a decade, yeah. you know, where people would just randomly call like, I know your dad's getting picked up here listen to this song have you heard this um so that was interesting because it was a new era of our journey in the music industry which let me tell you you know music industry is hard but yeah. the hip-hop is a special a special <laughs> caveat in that whole story <laughs> after that but yeah so but you know now it's fun um super cool the sitar is like one of the most infamous samples of all time you know and um yeah you know great i tell people all the time that you know dad's music and his legacy is ever evolving um and so i just love that you know we kind of jokingly say it wouldn't die because some people say gosh you guys are so tenacious what makes you keep doing this and it was like really daddy does because the music just keeps coming back you yeah. think oh i'm tired of it i can't do anymore this is too much this is too emotional and then you know come on hip-hop happens and you're like well we can't ignore hip-hop um okay child stephanie here we go again so you know it's been a, an interesting journey but it was um it was step by step one step at a time and i have to say um because i'm super excited 
We recently had a wonderful conversation with Terry Hunter, a uh, famous Chicago house music, um, musician producer. And um, we're hoping that something great comes out of that because house music being from Chicago and Charles Stepney loving Chicago, it's... I want to see Charles Stepney and house music do something together and who better with than Terry Hunter. So fingers crossed. Yeah. And it's Thursday night here, so it's Thursday like, night, and I'm Thursday night here, so so you know that's right. A big it's house deal, music right? night, and when I tell you, it's turned up around here. Uh, <laughs> Thursday night, it is. Man, I think someone should do a documentary on what's going on over there because it is like crazy. <laughs> no, really, right? it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like people call me and like, oh, I live very close. I was over there, and I was like, I know it's it's <laughs> mad, but it's, it's all the. All the DJs are there. Like my daughter was telling me today, because um, I was calling her on a house night, and she was like, "I was like, yeah, we met Terry Hunter," and she's like, "Yeah, if you had to stop calling me, I would have been on his yacht." And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I "Wanted to know that you were safe, right?" You know. So she's like, "All the DJs, um, uh, all the DJs go out here, and they, they, I guess they all have yachts, and so they're they are on their yacht, but it's really." Well, it's nice, but, you know, it's turned up. You got to be ready for that. So. Sure. I think that's so, I mean, obviously the 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 sort of evergreen quality of your father's music is very interesting. I, when I wrote about uh, the version of That's the Way of the World that's on, on this, I legitimately, like, it sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. I mean, it sounds like it could be on... You know, uh, there's uh, it could it, be, it could be a brand new artist on international anthem. You know, it sounds that contemporary, and the way he's playing that what eventually becomes a a vocal line on the on the keys. It's just got this human vocal quality that's just like mind blowing to me. And anyway, so that's such an incredible one. But you can hear why it keeps being sampled and why it keeps being pulled into these new forms because it still has just that that quality of of sophistication meets total raw feeling anyway it's yeah thank you for your article too it was fabulous. yes oh, yes it was amazing so thank you yeah. oh do you i'm gonna t i'll tell you the the god's honest truth is that i just got home and uh Put it on because uh, it I, i'd gotten sent the, the the song and i just put it on and i was like well i gotta write about this right now so i just took the laptop out and just jotted it out it was like a 20 minute i was so psyched because it's such a good oh, yeah thank you so much for that but it was oh yeah, good response you know people are already re reaching out for uses that's the on Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. It's fantastic yeah. to hear, and 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 it's so cool that in addition to this record, the summer of Stepney, you know, is going through September. You've got this version of Rotary Connection, Rotary Connection two hundred and twenty-two. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but let two 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 Okay, let let led by Junius Paul, another incredible example of your father's work having just this long life and this continued life. What has it been like to hear these new arrangements come together? And uh, who's, so it's, uh, um, who whose daughter is in the group? Is there, is there a- Oh, my she oldest daughter? Your she old, is. 
Yeah, yeah, the one that was mad because I pulled her off the DJ's yacht. <laughs> but I mean, to to hear this, to hear, you know, her singing with this group. I mean, what has that felt like for for the three of you? I'm so yeah. excited for her because yes. the, you know the kids don't know how to be a part of it. And it's also very frustrating for them because, well, it's frustrating anyway in Chicago. It's not a celebrity town, right? So you, so the understanding of like celebrity, uh, quasi celebrity lifestyle, right, is people don't get. And so for the kids to always hear this music, it, they just weren't really connecting um, in the same way. And I think they've been frustrated about it, right? So for I know for my children, this is a big deal because they get to be a part and they get to connect. And I think that my daddy would just be over the moon. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think the exciting part, too, is, um, you know, with this album, it's very a lot of the music is very in an embryo stage. It's You can kind of hear that. But, you know, we have 90 reels. 90 reels, the music evolved. Yeah. Um, we have reels with, we have songs with full orchestration. So I think it's cool that they get to hear his range personally uh, that they probably would never have heard if we hadn't had everything transcribed. Right. So I'm excited for them. Yeah. Well, thank thank you, all three of you, for both your your tenacity and your dedication in making sure that this music gets out into the world so that people like me can obsess over it and and also thank the th thank you for taking the time to speak with me it's i've had so much fun talking with the three of you this has been a real pleasure thank you, thank you. It's no you you're definitely a delight well, yeah. well, well, well thank you so much and thank you for this um thank you for this work and thanks for helping uh taking the time so we'll uh we'll catch up some other time and be well out in chicago and enjoy everything that's coming up and uh i'll be in touch so so much for joining us. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton, and our show's executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly Aquarium Drunkard show on Sirius XMU Channel 35, 7 p.m. PST. Design for the show is done by Daryl Norson, the impeccable D. Norson. Thanks so much, Daryl, for always coming through and making such great art for the show. We'll be back next week with another all-new episode featuring David Lynch sound designer Dean Hurley and Gloria D. Oliveria, who have an incredible new album out, Oceans of Time, on Sacred Bones Records. Aquarium Drunker Transmissions is a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network, home to a lot of incredible shows, including uh, the great Craig Finn of the Hold Steady Podcast, That's How I Remember It, and Bjork's Sonic Symbolism, as well as so many other shows. Check out the TalkHouse Podcast Network for more deep dive music listening. 
and uh, come back next week for that all new episode it's a really good one and uh, yeah take care until then this transmission is concluded